0: You're listening to Informed, informal chats about theological topics to help us know and understand God together. Informed. Informed. Hi everyone, Simeon here, and uh, on this episode of Informed, we're going to talk about interpreting the Bible. I'm here with my friend Daniel. Morning, Daniel. Good morning to you, sir. I've got my cup of coffee. I've actually got two cups of coffee. Are they both equally hot, or is one old and one new?
1: One's one's, uh, hot in a cup and one's hot in a little flask. Man, you are (laughs) organised.
0: I've just got one cup of now lukewarm coffee that I made three quarters of an hour ago or so. And we're talking today about interpreting the Bible and just some of the, just try and, let's try and talk through some of the helpful Principles and tips and and ideas that we've come across um, to help us interpret the Bible, um, but we should ask first: why is I mean why why is this even something worth talking about? Can't anyone just pick up the Bible and read it and make of it what they will, and that's fine?
1: Well, I think the big idea is that um, <clears throat> the Bible was written by particular people. Uh, in a particular place at a particular time Mm. now it's being read today by different people in different places at different times in different cultures and uh, so at I sort of picture in my mind two countries one country is them and one country is us and the country of them is a long time ago and actually depends which part of the Bible you're reading as to how long ago that was and where it was and who it was and to whom it was written and what was the um, occasion and what was the genre. So you've got that country, which is fixed, but then the the other country, us, that isn't even fixed because I might be you know, a brand new Chinese believer in the mountain areas, or I might be a Western uh, secular, Um, business person in the city, or I might be all sorts of things. So um, it therefore matters that we take into account that that reality exists. And uh, so we're trying to do the best that we can to build a bridge from one country to another, so that we can interpret what it really means. It's not a, a matter simply of opinion. Obviously, that comes into it when, you, you know, it's not ex- an exact science, but um, I think Christians ought to consider themselves archaeologists rather than architects. We are trying to discover what it means rather than we're trying to design what it means, because we're not. That's, so that's I think what, that's why it's important.
0: Yeah, and I, I like the way you're, you're highlighting there. There's, there's two halves to that job. It's not that the Bible dropped out of the sky as a purely generic piece of writing. Um, It's a compilation of things that were written by real people in real contexts with real cultures. And and what they've written reflects the cultures, the situations, the characteristics of the people writing them and the people for whom they were originally written. So you've got to take that into account as well as the situation that you're in. This kind of set. This is like... um, uh, uh, Grasping God's Word by Duval and Hayes isn't it um, I feel like in this in this podcast I'm going to end up in unintentionally quoting and hopefully not um, um, hopefully not pirating them and Fian Stewart and Andrew Wilson and I don't know who else because um, so many people have written helpful stuff on this that I've imbibed over the years so one helpful phrase that I don't know where it came from is um, the idea the bible was written for you but it was not written to you it's written in other words the texts are written with an audience in mind and that or the audience in mind isn't primarily you they're written for Titus appointing elders in Crete or sorry they're written to Titus appointing elders in Crete or to um the uh, the Israelites in exile in Babylon or whatever um but in God's sovereignty all of them are available for us and God wants to speak to us through all of them and that makes the stakes really high isn't it It, it's not it's not just um the the fact that it's a communication from God raises the stakes yeah I think I think I'd
1: I'd be I'd be wanting for us to communicate today that we're not here trying to put a barrier between the reader and the word of God and say "Mm, there's this whole complicated thing you need to consider actually, yeah. what we're simply doing is saying, it's important that you ask, what does this really mean? That, that's interpretation, isn't it? Understanding what, what does this really mean? Um, so so what sort of things do you bear in mind when you're asking yourself that sort of question?
0: I think um, y- you've always got to think about, first and foremost, what what did it mean what was it communicating to the first readers or the first hearers of it um and only when you've thought about that maybe very quickly maybe subconsciously but only when you've taken that into consideration can you be sure that you're working towards what it really means because as you've said probably quoting someone it can't mean now what it didn't mean then yeah um so there may be some some uh differences in how we apply it and so on but it's not gonna it's not gonna suddenly take on a new meaning um except you know sometimes people use it the holy spirit picks up on things in the bible and kind of uses them prophetically um in which case you might say oh it's taking on a new meaning it never really meant that in the first place that's fine but that doesn't carry the weight on authority of scripture because it's not the original meaning of scripture it's it's a little bit like if someone sees uh, an apple in the shop or a sunset or whatever, and the Holy Spirit uses it to grab their attention, which is all great. Mm. Um, but if we're wanting something that's got the weight and authority of um, Scripture, which we you know use to, to test prophecy and to, to steer our lives as disciples and our life together as a church, then, then we've got to make sure we're thinking about what it really means Uh, and the starting point for that is what what was it communicating in its original context and then you can do the job of thinking well what are the differences and the similarities between their context their country as you were saying and and ours um
1: and that's that's really important to distinguish i mean that what comes to my mind is is john four the samaritan woman and Jesus says to her you know you've had multiple husbands and the one that you're with now isn't your husband um she's there in the middle of the day people have speculated that she was an outcast of some sort she wasn't coming when other women would come there's a lot of there's a lot of assumptions in there because marriage wasn't the same then as it is now and um culture wasn't the same as it was then uh, so for example it was common for older men to marry younger women. It may have been that this woman had been widowed five times. It may have been that because she didn't have any children with her, she didn't have any children. Maybe she'd been divorced five times because she was barren. Maybe the man that she wasn't with she was with at the moment wasn't her husband because he'd just divorced her and he she wanted to be with him and, and he'd rejected her. So maybe maybe she's marginalized. And it, it may be that. There's evidence for that with the fact that the townspeople take her testimony at face value. They don't dismiss it as that of an immoral woman who can be disregarded, they take it at face value. And so we need to be careful not to impose a reading onto that story, which may not have been the case at all. It may be not that, um, you know, and I've, I've been helped in my thinking with things like this by Andy McCulloch's Global Humility it may be that it's, that's not really about her being guilty so much as about her being marginalised. It's a story of grace to the marginalised. So all I'm saying is what you've said is absolutely right. There's things going on there which sound similar, marriage, divorce, childhood, but how similar are they? We need to be careful. And even across the world, marriage and divorce means different things right now.
0: That's interesting. Do you remember someone telling us that they thought... The, the difference between um, East and West is a bigger factor in, in our separation culturally from the Bible than the 2,000 years of history.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think um, the fact that that comes as a surprise to us is evidence of its existence. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's huge. And it is an
0: Eastern book that we're looking at. So I think we're talking about culture here, really. And uh, I, I have three three C's in mind in terms of the potential differences between the original audience and us. And culture is one of them. The other two are covenant and context. Context really simple um, in the sense that, you know, when Paul, when Paul says in 2 Timothy, bring my cloak and my scrolls, well, that doesn't require every Christian in history to go and find some cloak and some scrolls. Or, you know, when the... Um, uh, when the law talks about leaving the edges of your field unharvested for the poor um that doesn't require every christian in history to be a farmer um there's some there's some fairly obvious contextual things and perhaps some less obvious ones as well um that can mean that the whilst the meaning doesn't the the deep underlying meaning doesn't change the way you apply it is going to be different um but covenant, thats perhaps the easiest one. Whereas covenant and culture can be more subtle. Um, so let's go back to culture because that's what you were just talking about. Um, people, people sometimes ask the question: Well, which bits of the Bible are cultural, and which bits of the Bible are timeless? I mean, I think I think
1: I would I would want to sort of like if we're playing volleyball, I'm going to do the set and you're going to do the spike, okay? So okay. I would say it's all cultural. Yeah. Um, and it's all timeless. So um,
0: help us understand that, Simeon. Yeah, exactly. The, this trying to divide it up is, is, is a waste of time because none of it is written outside of a culture. It's all written in a culture and, a, and to some extent affected by that culture. And all of the Bible is written uh, to communicate timeless truths. Um, so all of it is timeless, and all of it is cultural. Um, there are certain bits where the, the the cultural difference gets us scratching our heads more. Um, but that's not to say that uh, that's not to say that we can disregard those bits. Those bits are still teaching us something. Um, and there are certain bits that that look like, like you were saying with the women of the well look like oh there's there's not a lot of cultural difference here we understand what's going on well maybe we don't um and and, as you you say knowledgeable people writing books can help us with that um but even just you don't have to be a big reader of lots of thick books to be able to sort of ask the question i wonder if this worked the same then as it works now Mm. work the same there as it works here i find i find
1: simple tools like um, watching the Bible project overview of a particular book or simply having a study Bible uh, is often enough to steer you away from making fundamental mistakes in interpretation. Yeah, that's helpful. Highly no, recommend. I highly yeah. recommend that we get study Bibles. Good
0: recommendation. Um, with culture, um, there's a warning flag because it might sound like i'm saying um, you can you can adapt what the bible says to fit in with your culture which is not what i'm saying we're supposed to be countercultural. we're not supposed to fit in with our culture um it's more what so this isn't about fitting in with our culture this is about understanding the culture around the original writer and the original hearers so that we understand what they're really saying so that we can apply it in a countercultural way in our in our scenario Mm -hmm. so you know for example um Jesus sends people out to preach and says if if they don't listen to you shake the dust off your feet as a sign now if I you know if I go speak at an alpha course and and the people on my alpha table don't oh I wouldn't sit on a table if I was speaking at it because I've listened to your tips but (laughs) um you know if the people don't like what I'm saying I'm not going to, I'm not going to get my shoe and start waving it around. Um, but that doesn't mean I just ignore that. I have to think about well, what did that mean? If I want to preserve the meaning
1: mm. of
0: that original saying of Jesus, then I have to understand the symbol. And, and as Andrew Wilson says, maybe translate the symbol into something else in order to preserve the meaning, not in order to get away from the meaning. Mm. Um, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss might be another example of that. Mm. Um, we, we don't do an awful lot of holy kissing in our culture, but that, that should be because we're translating that symbol into an equivalent symbol in order to preserve the meaning of what Paul meant when he said that. Mm. Which was probably something
1: along the lines of greet each other with affection and with dignity and um,
0: fully so so culture um needs a bit of thought should we talk about covenants Mm -hmm. that's i mean this
1: is one of this is a really helpful idea that you've introduced to me um i mean you've introduced to me in the sense of bringing great clarity to it and i think most christians would be conscious of a kind of an old quote unquote an old covenant and a new covenant um but you you've helpfully sort of Uh, helped me think about when you're reading a particular part of the bible which of the many covenants are we under and how does that sort of help us interpret what's being meant by that so why don't you take us through what your what your thought process would be
0: Um, so just to just to zoom out a bit um to give some context and then then i'll home in on the one thing that i think is most helpful for interpreting a a, a text of scripture Um, there are loads of covenants in the bible and there are several covenants sort of key covenants that god makes with people um and uh um those covenants come into play at different times so the first one is uh the one that god makes uh with noah that he's not gonna deal with evil by destroying everything again which is fascinating he's gonna have to deal with evil in a different way um uh then you've got uh, the one he makes with abraham that through uh that abraham will be blessed and be a blessing and through his descendants uh, all peoples on the earth will be blessed um which culminates in jesus and pentecost and the church's mission to the ends of the earth jesus being a descendant of abraham um you've got the covenant with Moses so having rescued people his people out of Egypt God gives them a a structure of laws and um, uh, a sacrificial system uh, some some uh, ceremonial purity stuff uh, some uh, um, like uh, dealing with issues in the community stuff Um, and the interesting thing about that is that god ties their obedience to a promise of blessing it's really really super explicit that, that if you keep these laws you will be blessed you will have military success you will have family success you will have material success uh, your crops will grow well etc you'll be healthy whatever um and if you don't then you'll be cursed and the, the opposite of those things will happen and, and when um israel and judah are uh are conquered and exiled that's the outworking of the mosaic covenant um you've got a covenant with david about one of his descendants being on the throne forever um and you've got the new covenant made uh with us through jesus and when you read hebrews it talks at length about the fact that the new covenant replaces the old covenant and i think what hebrews is talking about is not all of the covenants that came before the covenant with David is still going on. He still has a descendant on the throne. Covenant with Abraham still going on. All nations still being blessed through his descendants. Covenant with Moses still going on. God is still dealing with the still not destroying the whole world and he will deal with evil in a different way. But the covenant with Moses, the sacrificial system, the purity laws, the food laws. Um, uh, Sabbath probably includes circumcision in that. Um That is what the writer to Hebrews is telling us has been replaced by the new covenant. That's the big picture. To to zoom right down, come back to the question of how do I interpret the Bible? The the one question to remember about covenants is, am I reading something that was written under the Mosaic covenant or not? Because that was a, a time limited thing. It was an agreement God put in place with his people for a particular phase of his rescue plan uh, from Moses through to Jesus, um, so large chunks of, of the Bible are written in that time frame. Um, you know, like everything from halfway through Exodus through to the end of Malachi, or maybe even the beginning of the Gospels. And as you're reading that stuff, you've got to remember that. was written in the context of the mosaic covenant where there were these specific specific instructions that god hasn't given to us those specific instructions were given to those people at that time we still learn a lot about what god is like by looking at what he told them to do but that's not to say we necessarily um, have to follow the exact instructions about mildew or building parapets around our houses or Sabbath or circumcision or whatever. Um, but those things tell us something about, about God and we, we study them and we we think about how we can apply similar principles in, in our context. But the specifics weren't, they were instructions given to someone else, not instructions given to us. Um, and then the other dimension to that is, is that you're, you're dealing with a situation where explicitly um, you have a prosperity gospel um god says keep these laws and you'll be blessed in these really tangible um practical ways financially um in terms of military success politically and so on and um so it doesn't surprise me that that lots of christians think in those terms because so much of the bible was written at a time when when god had set up exactly that kind of um agreement with his people. But as followers of Jesus, we're not under that specific agreement anymore. So just as I don't have to deal with mildew in my house in a certain way, because I'm not under that covenant, equally I don't have the promise of automatic material blessing if I obey God, because I'm not under that covenant.
1: So what as I listen to you, it strikes me that you'll need to have a big picture of the Bible story. If you, if you're if you're trying to discern one covenant from another you'll need to know what they are and so um you know obviously the more of the bible you know the more accurately you're going to be able to interpret whichever part of the bible you're in to the point where if you if you know it incredibly well from back to front then you're best equipped but everyone has to start somewhere and so we wouldn't want that to put people off from from beginning um and as Anna always says to me if you don't understand apart. just keep reading because it will become plain and I, I would say that to people you have to start somewhere it's okay to take baby steps when you're a baby and if you're a baby in bible reading then take baby steps that is that is the, the right right first thing to do I mean one of the other the other points I, I wanted to draw in was that um, in terms of how to's I would I would commend a sort of community approach to bible reading don't become someone who becomes um isolated and uh doesn't invite questions or or challenge um you know so read the bible make notes of questions you've got and ask people about those ask people you trust um question your interpretations with other people if it's right then it will stand up to some scrutiny Um, so you know i i do tend to have a post-it note sort of a rather large post-it note at the back of any book that I'm reading say for example Genesis and and on that is a running list of questions I need to ask my theological brothers and sisters when I get a chance to sit down with them um, so don't be intimidated if you're not familiar with all this stuff um, but just realize that it's rad- radically helpful information and if you can draw it out of somebody else
0: if you don't know it then that's the thing to do yeah and all of us are in that that process of gradually understanding more um and the more we read the bible the more we understand it the more we see how it fits together and you know it's not that anyone's not that any of us have arrived um we're all we're all gradually in that process so together. um
1: in terms of the, the your sees you talked about context culture covenant um I think there's another way of thinking about context which is also helpful which is just what is the specific literary context i.e what are the parts of the story that have just happened and what are the parts of the story that are about to happen because that sheds light on interpreting what you're reading in light of those things so for example uh philippians 4 talks about um, i can do all things through christ who strengthens me but it's not for us to design exactly what that means. We need to listen to what Paul's saying and understand within the context of what Paul's writing, what does that, what does Paul mean for that to mean to us? Um, Which was to do with the fact that he, in that specific situation, you know, he was um, able to be content under all sorts of different circumstances and that Christ has helped him to do all of those things in in his strength. Whereas I've seen seen a few sports documentaries quite recently where obviously secular people um, will take a knee before the game begins and quote to each other that Christ strengthens them to do all things and therefore they're going to win this game, Um, which is not what Paul had in mind when he wrote
0: that to the Philippian church. It's kind of the opposite, isn't it? Mm. Paul's saying, I can be content whether I win the game or lose the game. That's what Christ is strengthening him to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so just, I mean, uh, reading, reading the parts around the part that you're reading is, is super helpful. Uh, so I recommend reading books, you know, at a time, whole books at a time. Um, for, for an upcoming sermon, I've been looking at Acts, uh, sorry, at Genesis 16. In Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands and try to have a, a child with Hagar. Um, but if you know from, from chapter 12 of Genesis... God appears to Abraham four times and promises to give him offspring. And if you if you've if you've got that in mind as you crash into Genesis 16 you realize that this plan they've hatched is in stark contrast to this radically undeniable multiply given times prophes- uh, promise that that they, they should have ringing in their ears and hearts. Um, and so one part of the bible sheds light on another part i would go so far as to say that you you must let scripture interpret scripture um one part helps us to understand another part and often that's pretty obvious you know sometimes like the parable of the sower he'll tell a story the disciples will ask the question that we're all asking what does that mean and then he'll tell us what it means so it's not it's not up for debate what it means or in John 1, it starts with, you know, um, in the beginning was the word, which is kind of a mysterious noun. And then, but by the time it's, you're into, you know, verse 14, it's telling you that that is Jesus. He came down and took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. And so one part of that is telling you what the other part means. The word is Jesus. I'm about to tell you that. Um, So it works within the the, the current context, but it also works across the whole, the whole sweep, doesn't it? The Bible has to harmonize, even though it's diverse voices in diverse places in diverse times, it is authored by God, and they are telling the same story, even through that diversity. So we, we are expecting unity and harmony across that story
0: yeah and I think even when even when um, you you do all the hard work of, of, of you, you do all the careful thinking of thinking about the culture and the covenant, the context and everything and and then you when you still end up thinking well, oh, these two bits of the Bible seem to be saying different things to each other, um, that should that should make us go back and look even more carefully at them, not to. I think some, some approaches to those quote unquote contradictions kind of work really hard to, to fit them together. Um, like like you, you've got two jigsaw pieces and they're not really supposed to go next to each other, but if you kind of squeeze them hard enough, they'll fit. And I, I don't feel completely comfortable with that approach. I rather think of it as these are two, two views on the same object. This is this is a cylinder viewed from above, and it looks like a circle. This is a cylinder viewed from the side; and it looks like a rectangle. But they're both viewing the cylinder. Um,
1: Neither of them tell you everything you need to know about what cylinder is. Exactly. So, um, I mean, one of the very very simple things that people can do is they can ask the question: What type of r- r- writing am I reading, or what's the genre? Because just as with modern artistic endeavor there's there's all sorts of genres and you need to kind of understand um people who've got netflix accounts and what have you would be very familiar with kind of choosing a thriller or a horror story or you know a romantic comedy and so that kind of tells you how to interpret what's what's what you're watching um so give us give us an insight, i on to what some of the biblical genres are and how we can um, stop ourselves from becoming unstuck
0: um yeah so th- that's a really helpful thing um and i so just thinking through the bible roughly you've got some narrative um uh t- telling telling stories of things that have happened um you've got the law that we were talking about before although the law is is embedded in narrative in terms of the genre of the book there's there's no book of the bible that is purely just a list of rules it's actually all within a narrative the Israelites were here and God said this kind of thing um, so then the, the law is embedded within narrative um, you've got a wisdom uh, like uh, uh, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs um, proverbs are a whole a whole genre in their own um, psalms which are songs uh, songs to God um, you've got A whole load of prophetic books The easiest way to think about them is their sermons, their their records of of, um, the kind of, obviously they're not word for word everything the prophet ever said, but they're they're a distillation in some sense of what that prophet taught. Um, Gospels, um, uh, ancient biographies of Jesus, different different way of writing biography to how we might do it now, um, for sure. Um, And then obviously in the New Testament, a bunch of letters. Um, which are uh, written by typically by a church leader to a church, but sometimes to an individual. Um, And so, yeah, just knowing what kind of thing you're reading um, helps you. You know, when you when you turn on the TV and you start watching something, you might not notice immediately whether it's a documentary or a sitcom. But sooner or later, you'll pick up whether it's a documentary or a sitcom and that will influence then what you do with it.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there was a famous story of George Orwell, no, not George Orwell, Orson Welles, um, doing a radio programme based on uh, the um, War of the Worlds, and uh, he did it in the style of a news report. So people who tuned in after it had begun, hearing the style of it, were, were taken to, to panic, and there was a cultural momentary panic about what they were listening to, thinking that this was really happening, and people were actually taking steps as if it was happening, because oh. they misunderstood the genre. If they'd known this is a dramatization in the style of a news report, but they because they missed the beginning, um, and so you, you know you 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 sometimes get um, criticisms leveled at the Bible, like, oh, you know we know that the the um, the sun. the the sky isn't a dome and um things like this because the psalms say that they are and it's like well that's just not the genre the the psalms are not a scientific um analysis the psalms are poetic song and just like you would find those metaphors and images and points of view in modern songs so you find them in those uh, ancient ones so you need to be you need to just be sensible in taking that into consideration when you make demands of of the particular type of literature you're reading yeah. i mean just 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 as a top tip um i've i've gone through my bible and i have literally and people might find this hard to believe but i've literally written the genre on every single page um you know if, if you're watching a movie or something you can do it quite mindlessly Um, But it just means that every single page, I don't have to flick somewhere else to just remind myself exactly what this is. And you should you might think that at my stage of life, I shouldn't need that. And perhaps I don't. But I I just find that it helps me to not be able to get away from it. It's always there front and centre. Do you
0: think there are any of those genres that that are particularly hard to get into? I think you need, you know, you need to know
1: some simple things Like you need to know that most of Ecclesiastes is wrong, or you need to know that most of Job is wrong, or at least have that uh, as a sort of a warning sign in your, in your mind as you're, as you're going through it. Um, I think you need to have some, some basic, um, some basic understanding of the fact that often apocalyptic metaphors are not visual, they are moral. So um, when talking about the dragon with seven heads but 10 crowns it's not really it's not really describing a physical thing that's being seen it's describing the attributes of this entity i.e. he is all powerful not all powerful but very powerful and multifaceted and coming at you um or you know song of solomon's your teeth are like a flock of goats and, and all of that it's not really trying to put a visual image in your mind Um, so I think you, you, you do well to, to understand, um, some of the aspects of the genre that you're involved with, um, that the, that lots of the prophetic writing has two horizons. It has the kind of immediate application of this prophecy, but sometimes it has a more messianic application in that prophecy to come, um. And then you then then there's, you know, the sort of understanding that maybe the difference between parts of Acts, which are obviously an eyewitness, because Luke is saying we went from here to there and did this and that. That is that's got to be taken differently from Genesis one. There's no claim in Genesis one that this is being observed by the author. There's something else that's happened in order for this to be the revelation of God, but it's not an eyewitness account. And, and so those would help you understand those things slightly differently they're making different claims for themselves and what 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 sort of pitfalls do you think uh, there are out there or what advice would you give people to finding their way into these genre questions mm.
0: that that's that's all really interesting stuff um yeah I'll, I'll leave you to deal with the emails that come in when uh, people hear you saying most of japan ecclesiastes is wrong <laughs> 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 but,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I said that with a twinkle in my eye and what what I mean is it's kind of step it's 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 often sort of a thought process that someone's going through so if you take part of that thought proce- process out of the whole thought pres- process and put it on a postcard you wouldn't have the true meaning of that what that's saying um so what I- <laughs>
0: yeah well and but with with Job you've the first three friends who come and talk to him god rebukes him at the end for, for not speaking truly and a large <laughs> bit of the book is what they said yes so, yes so in that sense yeah and some people think a similar thing is going on with ecclesiastes um uh what what would i add um uh i think something that i've that's been in my head quite a bit this year maybe since we did revelation is that that the bible isn't necessarily cctv footage transcript um so yeah as you were saying with the apocalyptic writing it's not necessarily cctv from the future it could be more like a meme um it's visual communication from god to john but it's not necessarily showing him this is what's going to happen like this is Mm. cctv from the future it's it's let me communicate something to you in a visual way um man another um
1: Anna and I sometimes have these debates about historical religious artwork, which which basically you take a single frame of an image and it's the whole story of the Samaritan woman or it's the whole story of the crucifixion. And if you misinterpret that, you, you get to these ideas that divinity, divine people have halos or they wear a particular color or that the devil is red with horns and has a tail. But that's, there's ne- that was never that the artists thought those things were true, but they've got, to, they've got to deploy some devices in order to tell this story within the limits of what they've got. And so you have to understand that they've got those constraints and what that is trying to tell you and, and, and not <laughs> what it's not trying to tell you. It's not particularly trying to tell you that Satan looks a particular way, but they need to indicate that he's present in that picture for various reasons. And, it,
0: and it's similar with some of these apocalyptic things, isn't it? That's really interesting. And a, another, another genre that that isn't, it's less obvious, but it still isn't CCTV is the Gospels. Um, th- you know, th- there's no way those books are, um, you know, like a wor- word for word record of everything Jesus did and said in exactly that order. For a start, he didn't speak the language those books were written in um as his as his primary language and um and uh, and they're obviously selecting and arranging now i'm quoting tom right um selecting and arranging like like you do when you when you when you record history you don't write down everything you write down certain things um and the interesting thing particularly about matthew mark luke the synoptic gospels is that they don't give very much commentary on this is what it means but they point you towards what it means and what they want you to notice by the way they arrange things, by what they put next to each other. Um, The classic example is, you know, the slightly odd healing in Mark eight where Jesus takes Jesus two attempts to heal the guy who's blind. Um, uh, First time Jesus lays hands on him, you know, he, he can see, but people look like trees and then Jesus does it again and he can see clearly. So I'm, I'm, uh, I might, I'm not saying that didn't happen, um, but I think uh, there's more to Mark's not just dropped that in randomly. He's dropped it in. He's chosen to include that because it's a great picture for what's going on with the disciples. Because at that moment they they first recognize and express that Jesus is the Messiah, but their co- concept of what messiahship looks like is way off beam, and so they're. they're in this men like trees at that point it's men like trees at that point yeah um and like i mean i've been reading mark for someone recently so mark's fresh in my mind the the early chapters of mark he just goes bang 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 with story after story after story but they're not arbitrary they are largely showing you jesus authority in just a whole load of different ways because he's building the case of jesus identity so it's authority over sickness authority over demons authority over the sabbath authority to teach and and so when you see what mark has put next to each other you see the point he wants you to get he's not just sat there transcribing ctv saying this is what happened then this happened then this happened then this happened without any creative thought going into it Hmm. so
1: Anna, Anna collects all of our family photos every year and produces a hard copy album, uh, which we love and give to the parents for Christmas presents. And I noticed that the first one was all done in chrono- chronological order. So the first few pages are January, the second few pages are February and so on. But then now she's done seven or eight of these. And you can see, oh, in this one, she's clumped it into all the birthdays are together, even though they're not together in the year. Um, and so on and so forth all the holidays are together even though they're not together in the year and so I've got this story of my family in different expressions and one expression is chronological and one expression is is not chronological and and so it might be that you know there weren't any photos of my birthday party and so that's just completely absent in that particular book but that's not to say I didn't have a birthday Um, and so the, the different gospel writers are, ta- are each taking a different approach and perhaps have slightly different purposes um, in mind. And they, they don't do things the way we would necessarily expect them to do them in the West. So the genealogies are, are not exhaustive. And then they're not, they don't claim to be exhaustive. They're trying to make specific points about that genealogy rather than tell you absolutely every forensic detail about it from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, I, I had um, just two or three specific things that I do that I thought it might be helpful to to share with others, um, which is that I I think personal observation is priceless. Um, so bearing all the things in mind that we've said, now carefully read and reread the Bible. Yes. Um, so I tend to, especially if I'm, Studying something or preaching something, I would tend to read a chapter 10 times plus. Um, and I have used coloured pencils, and the ones that I use consistently are one colour for the names of God. Wherever God is mentioned, I highlight it. Use pencils because you can uh, rub them out and they don't seep through. I look for names of people because that tells you a lot. And then I look for repeated words. So, for example, Genesis 19 is all about the story of Ishmael being cast out because he laughed and then he had this uh, encounter with God who spoke to him and he became a hunter, uh, um, skilled with the bow and got married. But his name is never mentioned. So you're looking for him all the way through. It's about him. But all the way through, he's called the child, the the son. and the slave the slave woman's son and and so he's being referred to repetitively but not by name and that that tells you something or in Ruth three and four I think the word redeem or redeemer comes up 18 times or something so that's obviously a very central idea to those chapters so those are just very very quick and simple things that I do to help me observe what I'm reading
0: and the, the great joy in all of this is that as we give ourselves, as you say, to carefully reading the Bible, God speaks to us. Yeah. And and, and it's not an academic exercise. It's not just a, a hobby. It is uh, God reaching into our lives, speaking into our lives, changing us, uh, making us uh, more like him, encouraging us, strengthening us, equipping us. Um, it's um it's worth it
1: isn't it yeah jesus loved the word of god paul loved the word of god david loved the word of god um i, I just want to sort of end by saying in 2 timothy two fifteen, 15 says do your best to present yourself to god as one approved a workman who does not need to be ashamed who correctly handles the word of god So that idea of working hard to understand, you can find it in Paul's writing, you can find it in Joshua, you can find it in David's Psalms, you can find it all over. Um, So working hard to understand the word of God is incredibly valuable. If you wanna know the value of wisdom, read Proverbs. It's been great to talk us through with you, Daniel. Thank you. A great pleasure. Now, enjoy reading your Bibles.
0: Yes, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.